house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Sex. Male. Family. Child. Divorce. No. Professor Freud, Dr. Jung. I've simply opened a door. It's for the young man like yourself to walk through it. Perhaps she's the one for your experimental treatment. Tell me about the first time you can remember being beaten by your father. It's exciting to me! Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast married to a former real-world cast member. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with the super ego to my id, Joe Reed. I, of course, have actually no idea what a super ego does i feel like we've become comfortable with the like what the id means and like ego to a certain extent but like i is the super ego like the extremely like conservative like that's the more like if i remember you know high school psychology and sociology correctly pretty sure that the super ego is the thing that's like keeping you in check you know, um, because uh, that's, that's making you not do the bad, impulsive things, and um, it's sort I, of the I, opposite it, of what it sounds like. Because it sounds yes. like a super ego would be like your ego on steroids. Like it would be yes. like ultra, ultra ego. <laughs> yeah. If that was true, I'm pretty sure we might be both the super ego. Oh, uh, for real. <laughs> also, no, I, I love like, a super ego, which is like a really big toaster waffle, like. It's like big. Do you have to like cook it in the oven or something? Oh, I'm only imagining it. But right now, in my imagination, right, it's like the Uncle Buck of egos. Like now, you've got me imagining like an ego that is just like you have to cook it in an oven, but it takes like a double heavy duty frying, like a a baking sheet to hold it, and you just pull it out on one of those like uh, pizza. uh, Whatever. It's like a Cronenbergian bizarre. breakfast pastry oh my god like an entire, uh, an entire bottle of syrup it takes look to like a cronenbergian breakfast pastry um it would look like uh it would be huge it would have a sex organ it would have so many nipples on it like it would just uh-huh. have just like an eclair with just like seven nipples on it a few of the nipples might have teeth oh yes yes with it yes yeah. Just, and it the, talks the existence pod but with like a like a lemon curd filling or something like that just like really tasty but also looks like um a pouch of human flesh yes 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 yeah god love david vegan. cronenberg something something in this movie um the human fleshy weirdness of Cronenberg is entirely exists within Kira Knightley's jaw, which I find 
1000%, which is like, people don't seem to get that. And I'm sure we're, of course, going to go into it. But like the Cronenberginess of this movie exists like purely in performance, which fascinates me. Like Kira Knightley is the like makeup creature of this movie. She is the fly. She is. And like, I think that is awesome yeah i think it's rad we'll get into it we'll get into it how i think it is subversive of genre even you you have come ready to with your well first of all the other thing is that the listeners need to understand is that for the last i'm gonna say two months chris file has been on the Cronenberg kick to end all Cronenberg kicks. It feels like every day I would get a text message from you about a different Cronenberg movie you're watching and like some, you know, observation or another. And it feels like I was like, I don't, you would think that at some point there wouldn't be any more Cronenberg movies, but you keep texting me about a different one that you're watching. And there's a lot of Cronenberg movies. There's man. a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I've seen Listen. more of them. Like I didn't wouldn't have thought of myself as like even close to a Cronenberg completist, but I've seen more of them than than I realized. It's only like a handful of the earlier ones that I haven't seen. The thing is, like people kind of forget that it, for a period he was a populist filmmaker, right? Um, and with, he works like, with really interesting actors, which is why I end up seeing most of his movies. Or even if not populist, like just outside of the mainstream, like stuff like Videodrome was too like perverse to be within the mainstream. But like people knew what it was and people consumed it because of like Debbie Harry. Um, Videodrome is one of the ones I haven't seen, surprisingly enough. Oh, you got to watch Videodrome, Videodrome. Despite the presence of James Woods, Videodrome rules. It's one of the best Cronenbergs. Um yeah, something about the state of our dystopia, quarantine psychosis. Right. Cronenberg has been very soothing to me. That's, I don't know what it is. I, I was going to say, let's unpack that. Like, let me play the uh, the Freud to you or uh, whomever, and you can you can unpack that for me. I think you can fully unpack it just in my letterbox log of when I watched the fly <laughs> because yeah. like it, 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 it's the summation of my feelings of the fly, but maybe Cronenberg as a whole, I said, as a scab picker, I relate <laughs> like that's, that's what Cronenberg does. He like picks scabs. Uh, once upon a time at a previous job of mine, we were, we uh, were meaning to launch a podcast and my coworker and I had been recording like a lot of practice dry run podcasts to get ready for this. And it ultimately never came to fruition and whatever. And uh, all of this practice was for naught. but one of the uh, essentially the podcast was sort of revisiting an old movie and uh, picking it apart. And I had chosen the fly for the both of us to watch. The idea was that one of us would pick a movie that the other one had never seen before. Mm-hmm. So she had never seen the fly. I think I was just like, it's Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. And she was like, Jeff Goldblum, love it. And she was so angry at me after watching the fly for oh, like no. what she had to endure watching it. And I was just like, I in in fairness, did not prepare her correctly for the degree of grossness that was ahead in the fly. It was something to see. 
And The Fly is, I think, probably the most populous movie he ever did. I mean, a lot of the funny thing is a lot of his movies, especially the grosser, like perverse ones, were made by studios, especially in the 80s. Like The Fly. um, It's weird to me that I think it's Videodrome and The Dead Zone are in the same year. Yes, The Dead Zone was definitely a commercial sort of, obviously, a Stephen Mm -hmm. King adaptation when he was like really in that early hot streak of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Most Stephen King movies are bad, but that one is maybe one of the better ones and it's still a movie I don't like. (laughs) I would push back against that, that most Stephen King movies are bad. I mean, have you seen Needful Things? Okay, all right. But, like, that's just picking out one. I could probably pick out, you know, Misery, Dolores Claiborne, The Shining, The Dead Zone. Like, there's a lot sure. of really good ones. I love stalking. Anyway, stalking stuff. We're, we're here today to talk about A Dangerous Method, David Cronenberg's uh, period piece His about Freud and um, Crystal Method, uh, the RuPaul's yes. Drag Race finalist from this year. Truly, Cronenberg could do a number on a Crystal Method biopic. I'm going to say Cronenberg really should have been a guest on Canadian drag race. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. The fascinating thing about Cronenberg is like, yes, you could understand this as an Oscar project because like on paper, it looks like the type of thing we always expect, like Oscar costume dramas, biopics, blah, 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 blah. blah. Mm -hmm. But at this point, David Cronenberg, kind of had this late career Oscar ascendancy with the Viggo Mortensen movies with a history of violence being right on the outside and getting the last minute nomination for um, William Hurt. Hate that nomination. Um, And then Eastern Promises was like an Oscar outsider. And then this happened and obviously didn't get any nominations because we're talking about it. It, It's funny. There's a lot of because this is uh, probably his most oscar friendly movie just in terms of what it is Mm -hmm. it's a costume drama it's got very sort of it's you know kira knightley had been an oscar nominee vigo mortensen had been an oscar nominee for cronenberg um michael fassbender as we will discuss was like happening at this moment so it was like a very Mm -hmm. like of the moment year but it's interesting that that run of a history of violence and eastern promises turning Cronenberg into sort of a uh, at least like an on-paper contender mm-hmm. leads to things like people thinking that Cosmopolis is going to be a thing or Maps to the Stars is going to be a thing, which is hilarious in retrospect. Because if you watch those movies and it's just like, oh, these movies are like actively hostile to the idea of like getting awards. <laughs> An audience watching them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, Maps to the Stars is one of the most hostile things I've ever fucking seen. Um, But at the same time, if that wasn't the same year as Still Alice, I do wonder if there would have been a supporting actress nomination for Julianne Moore. She's genuinely incredible. I'm so glad it worked out the way it did rather than that way. Yeah, you hate that movie. You hate that movie. Maps to the Stars. Listeners, I believe Maps to the Stars should still be on Netflix. (laughs) I can't necessarily recommend it because it's thoroughly unpleasant and not it, it's one of the bottom of Cronenberg's movies but you should watch it just for Julianne Moore she's playing Lindsay Lohan at 50 and it is <laughs> a thing to behold what is your favorite Cronenberg movie after doing this whole deep dive 
uh, I mean, best and favorite might be two different things. Okay. But what are they? I, what are, uh, give me both of them. I mean, they could both be Dead Ringers. I think Dead Ringers is like the one. Yeah. Um, Crash is kind of wild when you're in it. <laughs> Listeners, if you don't know, we'll have some time to talk about Crash. But we're not talking about Oscar nominated, Oscar winning Best Picture Crash. No, we're talking David about um, Crash. having sex with cars crash. Uh, or uh, getting turned on by being in a car crash crash. Right. <laughs> Same that's what that movie is um we'll we'll get into it um yeah i think it's dead ringers honestly a history of violence is also still really incredible when you watch it and like it's this weird movie that i'm like when i haven't seen it in a while i'm like that's probably not as good as i remember it and then when you're watching it it's like no this is brilliant on every level that's not william hurt um yeah. um but incomplete... a dangerous method is up there for me it's it's yeah. uh one of my favorite Cronenbergs. I think it's great for reasons I'll get into. My incomplete Cronenberg uh, filmography needs to be uh, viewed with an asterisk, but I will say, you know, my pick for favorite Cronenberg and it is unwell and I stand by it. And if you um, say Cosmopolis, I'm getting off this call. Absolutely right now. <laughs> not. I do not like Cosmopolis. No, it's existence. I love existence. Oh yeah. You do love existence. Um, uh, gay panic metaphor existence. <laughs> I don't know about panic. He takes to it pretty well. Uh, he does take to it pretty well. Uh, okay, maybe not gay panic, but like existence. Existence is... asks the question of what if your entry into a uh, techno, uh, new techno realm involved you having a very very real hole right near your butt that you would um plug a fleshy protuberance into and it would mm-hmm. open you up into a brand new world we should just maybe put a giant uh, asterisk before we move any further into this episode that this is probably going to be our most explicit episode this episode will not be for children um, <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good point but existence is definitely... Uh, children who were, like, very psyched to listen to us talk about a dangerous method. Yes, yes. Kids who um, were maybe very into Freud and Carl Jung, you still might want to just steer clear of this episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, don't play this in the car with your kids. Um, but yeah, existence is very much... What if Jude Law was afraid of getting pegged by Jennifer Jason <laughs> Lee, but wanted to get pegged by Jennifer Jason Lee? Who among us? Who among I us mean, could say different? Yeah, we both want it and are afraid of it. The, uh, here's the thing: there's so much to talk about the, about this episode, but like you also have to approach the fact that it is bizarre that David Cronenberg was ever a director that got this close to like Oscar conversation, even though like nothing ended up happening with this movie because like his movies are like very sexual very gory very um like everything's allegorical and it's like yeah allegories with sex and perversion and fetishism and they yes. rule they're yeah. great movies yes it is it is that mashing up of those things together that i think ends up keeping him at an arm's length it is no it is no accident that his two closest brushes with Oscar in that the, the two movies that got best Oscar attention are the ones that are 
mostly only one thing, which is History of Violence. Mm -hmm. I know it has great sex scenes in that movie, but it is still called A History of Violence. And like the violence (laughs) is the thing that um, the Oscars were attracted to. I think the sex is what kept that movie at an arm's length. I think without that, uh, that sort of sex forward nature of that movie, I think maybe that movie is a best picture contender and a, Mm -hmm. you know, Vigo and and Maria Bello maybe get some stuff for that as well. And then Eastern Promises is like his most just purely aggro violent movie. It's also probably his most, like, if you watch it, especially in conjunction with a bunch of his other movies, you can absolutely see the stamp that he's putting on that movie. But, like, that's probably also a movie that even though there is some explicit sex in it and there's that whole extended scene of naked Viggo Mortensen brutally, uh, like, being attacked by these two men in a bathhouse, um, it's still the movie that you could put in front of mainstream audiences and they could digest it in a way that's not like being repulsed by like Jeff Goldblum's jaw falling off. Right. The dead zone, kind of the same thing where the dead zone Mm -hmm. is mostly what's, what's extreme about the dead zone. It's the violence in it. It's the scene of the, uh, accused child rapist, right. Killing himself by impaling his own mouth on a set of scissors that like headbutts, some scissors in the jaw i sent you but it happens off screen it does but like you you see it up until like you know what's about to happen the suggestion Uh, i sent you that clip of guillermo del toro talking about that scene right from the bravo special the bravo my uh i've talked about this i must have talked about this before bravo once upon a time when they weren't just housewives programming did a 100 scariest movie moments countdown in like 2006 or something like that and it was really good and it gathered you know these really great horror filmmakers and they would along with like truly rando um actors like young sort of like up-and-coming starlets that their agents got them a spot on this and also like writers from fangoria and like weird like spooky blogger type people it was a really very interesting mix of people but like um i think cronenberg was a talking hat on it guillermo del toro was wes craven was john carpenter um you know all of the greats right are opining on all these other different horror movies and Guillermo del Toro is one of the talking heads on the little bit about the dead zone and talks about this scene specifically. And he's so like gleeful about Cronenberg's use of suggestion in that. And the fact that like the guy has this like thick rubber raincoat, which also feels very sort of like fetish adjacent and um, just the, the evocative nature of like, he like pro like, prize these scissors into this like between these two things so that it won't move and you know it's going to have to like really hold up to him like mashing his face down on these scissors to kill himself it's so upsetting so upsetting it's so upsetting even like the rest of the violence in the dead zone is i'm gonna say cronenbergian a million times this episode but it's cronenbergian because like you have like people being shot and the like bullet explosions are just huge and absurd and all-time yeah. top five ranking of directors as adjectives cronenberg makes that top five right oh that yes yes it's absolutely. cronenbergian lynchian 
Hitchcockian, what are the other two that that fill out that top five? Mm. Like, I gotta feel like we can come up with this. Like, listeners, tweet at us other examples of what the other two adjectives for people should be. Because, like, Scorsese, Spielbergian, 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 yeah, that's our number four. And like it doesn't Scorsese work. For Scorsese and doesn't roll off the tongue. No, though. and people don't ever like, really he, like speak of it that that's way. That's a thing, yeah. They don't speak of Scorsese as an adjective, nor Coppola. Um or Kurosawa. Yeah, not really. Um or even like the French like new wave types. Godardian. Right. Yeah, you don't really hear it spoken of that way. Yeah, listeners, give us our who's our number five? We've got four. Yeah. Uh close out close out our list for us. The other Cronenberg movie that could possibly be in like this type of conversation is M. Butterfly, which is one that I, I don't think a that. lot of people have seen. I gotta see um, it. Yeah, it's a stage adaptation. I'm pretty sure David Henry Huang won the Pulitzer for it. That makes sense. That I forget, but like that was a Broadway sensation, and then it goes to Cronenberg. It's another Jeremy Irons movie after Dead Ringers, which made me wonder... If maybe Jeremy Irons brought it to David Cronenberg first, Very like they wanted to work together. Yeah, that and Dead Ringers felt the most where I was like, okay, I'm maybe stretching a tiny bit to like feel this in the Cronenberg way. Oh, so like okay, all of Cronenberg's movies are structured very similarly. Most of them are like an hour and forty minutes long. Right. If you need another reason to stand David Cronenberg, his movies are short. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think A Dangerous Method is the one to have that conversation about. And there's also a million other conversations to have, like Kira Knightley this year for Michael Fassbender. Yep. Vigo got the Golden Globe nomination that year. It had kind of an insane festival run for it to not do and i i get that this is a divisive movie but like it opened at venice it was in tiff new york film festival oh, it's one of, yeah it's one of those movies that played all the festivals everyone's every mm-hmm. year there's like one or two movies that won't just like pick or choose one or two they'll like oh we're just gonna play all of them mr turner i remember was a movie like that where it's just like nope we're just gonna be everywhere you're gonna have like a chance to see us somewhere yeah yeah But yeah, do you want to get into, so we can talk a little bit more specifically about this movie. Yeah, Do you want to get into a 60-second plot description? Sure, I'm certainly going to run out of time, but let's let's see how it goes. All right, cool. Once again, we are here to talk about A Dangerous Method, directed by David Cronenberg, written by Christopher Hampton, based on his play The Talking Cure. The movie stars Michael Fassbender, Viggo Mortensen, Keira Knightley, Sarah Gadden, and Vincent Cassell. Uh, as we mentioned, it did the festival trifecta and then opened limited uh, Thanksgiving week of 2011. Yes. My Just. apologies in advance for the fact that I am almost certainly going to stumble upon a lot of these polysyllabic words that I have in this <laughs> description. Just for fair warning. We we are not um, uh, scientists or social scientists of any kind. Certainly not. We are just two uh, nerds. Um, Exactly. (laughs) We are merely nerds. Mere Oscar Uh, nerds. Joseph, if you are ready for your 60-second plot description of A Dangerous Method, your time starts 
now. All right, Kira Knightley plays Sabina Spielrein, a young woman and gifted psychology student suffering from hysteria and fits who gets taken to a mental hospital in Switzerland, where she comes under the care of emergent pioneer in the field of psychoanalysis, Carl Jung, played by Michael Fassbender. In, their situ- in her sessions with Jung, where he employs a method of talk therapy analysis, Sabina works out her sexual attraction to humiliation while also getting to work as his apprentice. Meanwhile, Jung goes to consult many times with Sigmund Freud, you may have heard of him, played by Viggo Mortensen, you may have heard of him. Their professional relationship is productive, although begin to increasingly disagree on approaches to psychoanalysis. Freud's sends a patient of his, a bohemian doctor named Otto Gross, to Young, and Gross ends up convincing Young to disregard propriety and repression, and so Young gives in and begins a sexual relationship with Sabina. There is a lot of spanking. They also work together on a theories of sex as destruction of the self and then present it to Freud. There's a lot of wrangling between Young and Freud over psychoanalytic approaches and between Young and Sabina over their relationship, and she ends up siding with Freud professionally, Ten and eventually seconds. both relationships end. Sabina later marries a Russian and has children, and she and Young have a nice moment of longing and regret, and Young is halfway down the road to a nervous breakdown when the movie ends, and then in the epilogue we find out she was later killed that by Nazis time. while Young lived till 1961. <sighs> that. If there, if there is a problem with this movie is like, especially in the terms of Cronenberg, like all of his movies have such a distinct arc and like narrative thrust. This movie does kind of meander, right? Like it doesn't um, have a like steady trajectory the way his other movies do. So yes. at some point, like, it does become a very talky movie. I'm someone who likes talky movies, so that's not a complaint on my part. But, like, I can see why. Also the fact that he starts a relationship with her, he ends it, he starts it again, and he ends it again. Like, it's, mm-hmm. there is some sort of, it's not a straight line forward. Yeah. 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 Also, I think... Freud and Jung are interesting figures in that unless you are a scholar of that field, you basically know, like, the general concepts, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. Freud, psychoanalysis, everything relates to sex, uh, which is a thing that Jung in this movie, like, very much bristles against. And then Carl Jung, I, I'm vaguely aware of like the collective unconscious as like a thing and that's like archetypes there are Jungian like archetypes in you know the world or whatever but I'm not really like that informed on the specifics of it so watching the two of them sort of spar and wrangle was interesting to a point for me. Mm-hmm. I was mostly interested in Vigo Mortensen's performance as Freud, which is like this very um quietly calibrated, self-satisfied um like the way he his performance as Freud sort of like pokes at Young's character constantly is very entertaining for me to watch Mm -hmm. in this movie. Like he's very, he knows that he is coming from a position of professional authority and he has these genuine concerns about their field and keeping their field sort of safe from the external forces and politics and whatever that would try and like tamp it down, which is why he doesn't want Young getting into things like parapsychology and uh premonitions and mm-hmm. whatever and thinking he can tell when the wood is in the bookcase is gonna crack because he can feel it in his tummy or something like that and um so like there are real concerns from freud but a lot of this movie is spent with freud like needling young and sort of like lording his authority over him in ways yeah. that felt fun 
which itself is like a Cronenberg fa- uh, fascination because he's like always interested in like male dynamics and like male bullshit and psychosis and like unpacking that. Whereas yeah. Fassbender as Jung is like slowly having a psychological decline throughout the movie, yeah. whereas Freud is pretty placid, even keel the whole movie. So it's like he's also. Uh, I guess in a way this dynamic is also like setting off Jung's character arc of kind of like falling apart a little bit. I like the way Fassbender plays Jung as so um, like subject to the influences of others where like Mm -hmm. he's so affected by every little thing that Freud says to him and does to him. And he sort of like tries to push back to it. And he, you know, tries to, uh, you know, keep himself guarded against falling under Freud's thrall, essentially, because the Freud is such an authority. But like, even the there's stuff an age with... difference there, too. So yes. it's like, it's not like he's daddy, but he is an older yes. male of authority. But also, he like allows the Vincent Cassell character to convince him to like give up on all of his professional sort of scruples in like a half of a scene. It's really kind of funny where Vincent mm-hmm. Cassell just sort of like describes how he, like, you know, sort of happily has sex with his own patients and uh, subscribes to this idea of, like, complete uh, no boundaries, no restraints, no repressions. And Young, after, like, half-heartedly being like, we shouldn't do that. And then, like, after a scene, he's just like, well, maybe we should do that. Maybe, you know, maybe I will have sex with my patient. Vincent Cassell, by the way, in this movie, is such a gummy sex monster like i just he has the market cornered on scummy sex monsters and this one (laughs) i just watched um the messenger the story of joan of arc for when i was on the podcast like it's 1999 podcast and he's also like i don't know if he's not like explicitly a sex monster in that movie but like he's so scummy and so attractive in that movie it's (laughs) i i don't know uh, Vincent Cassell did like unlock one of those weird doors of like, oh, I, I do like this visual here for me in this movie, which is gangly Frenchmen in those like paper sack linen pants with overalls no shirt, with no shirt, <laughs> but with Dexy's Midnight Runners, but French. And a Newsies cap. Frenchies Midnight Runners. That's yes. Yes. But they can't be like nice. They have to be like scummy. Oh, like Vincent Cassell is in of course. basically every movie. He's like, what if Newsies but porn? Yeah. And French. And older. Well, yes. Yes. But like cosplay, like French, sexy, Newsies cosplay. Sure. I, I, That's I my hope... slutty Halloween costume this year. <laughs> <laughs> slutty Newsie. <laughs> Like also, Bloody French newsy. I mean, speaking of you know the unconscious mind, the unconscious mind throughout this movie deeply wants Michael Fassbender and Vincent Cassell to have a sex scene together. Like you just do. I'm sorry. It's just. I think it deeply wants Fassbender and Mortensen to have a well, sex scene together. Yes, that is also true. Yes, but that's more like that's almost text. It's not quite text in this movie, but like it's it's bubbling under the surface. It's never quite a thing that you think they actively want. 
but like well all personal all personal tensions in this movie have an air of sex too so naturally yes. our mind goes there yes even poor sarah gadon who gadon gadon how do we pronounce i'm gonna guess it's gadon gadon who is also Gal we talked about mortensen being in several cronenberg movies back to back she is as well because she's in cosmopolis and maps to the stars oh is she in maps to the stars i was kind of she plays julianne moore's ghost mom (laughs) that fucking movie um she has such a like nouveau sadie frost energy in this movie like Mm -hmm. maybe it was just the collar that i was catching vibes from that from but uh she plays such a good i mean in this case there she's less calculating i guess although she has at least one scene where she's like i know more than you think i know buster yeah Um, i think she plays the closest thing to a cliche that this movie has for a period drama but it doesn't feel like a cliche in her performance i think she's good in this movie okay you say that and i think that's right like but let's also say this movie starts very anti- costume drama cliche which is it starts with kira knightley sort of like having a fit and sort of like gangly limbs everywhere in this like carriage she's being like dragged to this mental hospital but like listen all cronenberg movies basically start some point in the first five minutes it's like oh okay this is what we're doing got it cool but this movie does it with kira knightley unhinged literally with her jaw (laughs) Like, her jot across the room. Just fully across the room. We'll get into that, for sure. But, like, as this movie moves along, there's a lot of really very costume drama beats. And, like, most especially this idea of, like, Kira Knightley and Michael Fassbender can't be together. They, they you know, much as they might mm-hmm. want to be together, their love cannot be. And there are, like carriage rides where there's sort of like there are longing glances out the window there's a shot of them lying together in a boat that is like straight out of something like jane campion's bright star which Mm. is so deeply romantic and spoony to me Uh, i don't i certainly don't use the term costume drama as a pejorative which i know now some people might i don't but there's like there are definitely like at certain points of this i was like oh this is almost like you know uh, brides had revisited kind of a thing or just like Mm -hmm. you know like some sort of like jane austen thing it's just like their love cannot cannot endure i mean like not to make it sound cheap but because of like the actual conversations they're having or the degree of sexual frankness that this movie has it does feel like it undermines a lot of expectations a lot of conventions of the costume drama genre and and, like i don't think it's necessarily perfect i think there's movies that have done it better like the handmaiden but Ah, i do still think it's there in a way that people didn't fully appreciate about this movie that i think it's trying to do yeah no i think you're right it's interesting to note uh the christopher hampton of it all that this Mm -hmm. was a christopher hampton play that he had written in the early 2000s that he initially wanted was sort of like pitching this around as a film and wanted julia roberts to play the Kira Knightley role in the early 2000s, which is like just post 
Oscar just post Aaron Brockovich, which would have been a fascinating route for Julia Roberts to take. I can't think of it. Because Mary Riley went so well. Well, that's the other. Okay, so Christopher Hampton's filmography as a writer is very interesting. He's obviously his. I think it's safe to say that he's most known for the play uh, Les Liaisons Dangerous and then the screenplay for Dangerous Liaisons, the film. Mm -hmm. Which he won an Oscar for. Which he won an Oscar for. But like following that, it's a really interesting little. uh, He does. The, the screenplay for Carrington, the Emma Thompson movie that was right around the sort of big Emma Thompson era, right in the same general area as Howard's End and Remains of the Day and that whole kind of thing. Mary Riley, our beloved Mary Riley. Um, Mary Riley. Q whispers. Q whisper track. Um, the Quiet American, speaking of whispers, The Quiet American with Michael Caine, the Oscar-nominated performance from Michael Caine. He plays an American that goes, shh. Yes, exactly. The Quiet American. Um, imagining Argentina, the Emma Thompson movie that got booed at some film festival, right? I think I remember that. Yeah, where it's like this movie is perhaps politically problematic or something. Yes, have never seen it. Uh, he directed that as well. Oh boy, Christopher Hampton. Um, does the screenplay adaptation for Atonement, which I think is fantastic and is a fantastic movie, got nominated for the Oscar for that as well? Yes, or am I wrong? yes, he did. Does the screenplay for Cherie, the Michelle Pfeiffer... A movie we will absolutely talk about at some point. Exactly. A Dangerous Method, but also, um, does the screenplay for Adore, our beloved... Sunfuckers movie, which the, the world would Sunfuckers, be they think we're Lezos. Yes. And then, um, before 2020 got cancelled, um... The Father is the big Sundance sensation of this year, with Anthony Hopkins getting, like, Oscar buzz out of Sundance, and Christopher Which they're Hampton. still releasing that movie. It's going to TIFF. It's... Oh, is it really? Interesting. Yes, it is. Okay. I mean, listen, the Oscars are still happening, so, like, Anthony Hopkins is still going to be out there, and... Yeah, it's it's an interesting mix of very well-respected films and stuff that we love, like Adore and Mary Riley and our sort of, you know, Not personal good. inside jokes for us. Yes. But yeah, well, the other thing about Christopher Hampton is like, it is a lot of, especially what he is most known for or probably most celebrated for is a type of costume genre. Yes. And, like, not necessarily to say that those are, like, stuffy or the way people look down their nose at costume dramas, because, like, Dangerous Liaisons is awesome. Dangerous Liaisons oh, is hot. This um, is the thing about his costume dramas, is there is a pointiness and edge to them. Like, they're, like Dangerous Liaisons, <laughs> obviously, like, the, it's no accident that, you know, Cruel Intentions didn't come from nothing. Cruel Intentions is a much more <laughs> sort of, like, um, vulgar, maybe, variant of that. Yes. But, like, again, that didn't come from nothing. And people, like, need to remember that the entire plot of Atonement hinges on Sir Ronan walking in on James McAvoy fingering Keira Knightley up against a bookcase. Like, Well, no, it all hinges on Sir Ronan intercepting one of their sexts <laughs> by a typewriter. Oh, right, which, which is, what does he say? Shit, what's the line in... Uh, he... Uh, just do a sound drop. Don't make me say the C word on my... <laughs> no, I'm trying to entrap you so that one day I can hold this against you. Yeah. Um, 
he basically says, I want to do this to you, and he uses vulgarity uh, that yes. she thinks is violent. She under- misunderstands again, like That's the entire crux of this movie that it, that ultimately becomes this swoony tale of longing romance and also this the uh the dunkirk you know scene mm-hmm. that like is so definitive and whatever and but people forget that like it has these very um sort of not i don't want to say vulgar because vulgar is the wrong term but like i don't know sexual and overt like, sexuality yeah 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 I haven't seen Cherie, but I assume there's some type of flirtation because, like, Michelle Pfeiffer's po- topless on the poster, so... Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Rupert Friend, like, have... that. That is, as I recall that movie, and it's been a long time since I've seen it, I don't think it's... I don't think there's quite that, like, little root of darkness in it, but it's very mm-hmm. sort of, like, light and frothy and whatever. But, like, it's very sexy. Jesus, you're unwell, Charlie Hunnam... Uh, game from our pan episode you could definitely do a british version of that with brunettes because i do not know who rupert friend is like i and i have seen his movies but like i couldn't place him against a, a bunch of other actors like the rupert friends it's he the way the way of getting a solid bead on rupert friend is to take costume dramas totally out of it don't think of Cherie. don't think of the young victoria it's if you ever watched homeland he had a role for a couple seasons on homeland that like is sort of unlike that but also he's so fucking funny in the death of stalin that like just oh, hold on yeah. to that one. he's he's the son of stalin who's coaching the hockey I didn't team. like that movie oh i loved that movie wow okay <laughs> so that's like two ianucci movies then recent ianucci movies that you have like completely hated Oh, yeah. No, I outright hated um, David Copperfield. Right. Which I thought was kind of cute. It was a nightmare. Um, (laughs) So we have found... But yes, the the thing about Christopher Hampton, though, is like, you can absolutely see this text that goes of A Dangerous Method or The Talking Cure, whatever you want to call it, his original play, and goes to a Joe Wright or a typically costume drama director right but this is a very different movie under david cronenberg and like you can see his directorial stamp on it and i think that's what makes it interesting um in a way that like his his like point of view kind of is isn't assigned to a genre because i think people probably think of him as like science fiction or horror as a director but like the same filmmaker i watched his other movies and i see the same voice behind them it's funny that we do think of cronenberg as a sci-fi director because his last sci-fi movie i mean i guess you could like the thing about cronenberg is obviously he blends genres and there's definitely a sci-fi air to I would call cosmopolis. cosmopolis yeah science fiction but like his last legit science fiction is existence which was you know yeah, like what we conventionally assign to science fiction where you're talking about, like, creatures or technology or, you right. know. Right. Not, like, purely, like, it's like a, you know, social metaphor. Yeah. Also, I'm trying to remember what Spider is actually about, and I'm coming up short. Even though Spider's I good. Ray Fiennes is great in Spider. What's the plot of it, though? So Spider, which like Spider is harder to get a hold of. It's like one. Sometimes I log movies on Letterbox and people are like, "Where did you watch this? I can't find this anywhere." Um, use your public library, friends. Your public library has a lot of things for you, and you 
don't have to pay money. Um, so yes, I had to watch it from a copy from my library. But Ray Fiennes plays this mentally ill man who is released from an asylum or like psychiatric care and revisits his home um, as a child and has these flashbacks um, that kind of lead up to revealing like why he had a psychological breakdown and it deals with his family. His mother is played by um, uh, Miranda Richardson and his father is Gabriel Byrne, but his father has a relationship with a um, prostitute who is also played by Miranda Richardson. Right. She has, she has multiple roles. Right. 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 Yeah. I remember that. It's a good, it's a good movie. It feels like the least, um, like structurally it's pretty complex, but it's like, it's the most like straightforward, I could explain everything that happens in the movie, including spoiling it in like three sentences. Um, but Fines is good. It's like the least complicated Cronenberg movie to me. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I should revisit it. All right. Yeah, it's good. You should see it for Ray Fines. Let's talk about Kira. Kira. Okay. She's already at this point, just to sort of like situate her uh you in her career at this point she had broken through with bandit like beckham in the pirates of the caribbean movies but was like sort of disregarded as an actress people thought she was just sort of this like beautiful you know thin porcelain creature right which is sort of how the I guess that's sort of how the Forever pirates ever in her. a corset. Like right. she was at least the perceived poster child of the costume drama and in a way in that something like something modern, like love actually, she's still sort of the uh, woman on a pedestal. Right. Mm-hmm. And she starts to almost immediately after that breakthrough, she goes for movies that sort of, try and bust her out of that. Like, even though she's playing Guinevere in the King Arthur movie, the, um, who directed that King Arthur movie? Antoine Fuqua. Mm -hmm. And, but like that, that conception of Guinevere is like, she's riding into battle and she's got a bow and arrow and she's like, she's a fighting Guinevere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, she's in Domino where the Tony Scott movie Domino, which is a mess, but like, it's definitely like, a totally different image of her. She's a supermodel, but she's also a mm. spy. Is that the deal with Domino? There were sex scenes, but she had a body double, mm. or it was maybe right. just nude scenes. Um, she's but like that... she has the spiky hair and the blonde highlights, and right. She's in that movie, The Jacket, with Adrian Brody and Jennifer Jason Lee, which Never Let Me Go. Which, like, even though it is not a stuffy costume drama it was perceived as such right but she gets her first oscar nomination in 05 for pride and prejudice which is a you know costume drama although a absolutely flawlessly made one and it you know starts her relationship with joe wright which i think her best work has been historically with joe wright with um pride and prejudice and atonement and Anna Karenina, which happens the year after uh, A Dangerous Method. But um, by this time, by the time she's in A Dangerous Method, she's like gotten respect for her acting 
at long last. Like people were really, I remember it was like, there was a very begrudging sort of respect for her that like was not easy to come by. But at this point, the response to her nomination was not entirely friendly, (laughs) but I think history felt like it was also, yeah. Yes. History has turned on that nomination. History has proven that nomination. Correct. Also very similarly to, I would say Winona Ryder and little women in 94, Mm -hmm. Which also seems like, oh my god, it's just a costume drama or whatever. But it's just like, no, she's really good. Anyway, by the time A Dangerous Method happens, she does have that respect. And yet, I still don't think people were prepared for what she does, especially with her physicality in this movie. Mm. And the initial reaction to this performance was a lot of laughing revulsion sort of like what the fuck is she doing she's trying too hard like she's going for too much she's not it's not working and i think this is another one where in retrospect there's a lot more respect for what she does oh i think she's incredible where do you fall on this performance watching it again in the first minutes i remember i was almost like thrust right back into where i was initially which was like what is she doing but like I came around on it a lot quicker this time because it's so obviously a choice and it's so I I've really come to respect actors who at the risk of seeming over the top do something with their physicality mm-hmm. that not anybody not just anybody can do. Like the the degree of commitment to put to those scenes where she is having her sort of like hysterical fits, like where like mm-hmm. physically her ticks, yeah, her, ticks, her body like, is just like not moving the way she wants to. She's literally in some scenes. It's like she's trying getting to hold her face together. Like it's, uh-huh. I, um, I'm, but see, the thing start. is like, she was respected as an actress at the time, but I do still think that there's this kind of like, eye roll to her doing things like the duchess all the time and even she like started speaking out about it at some point of being like i'm tired of doing these fucking corset roles um to the point that i think she is incredibly intentional casting um in this way that she like we mentioned earlier she is the cronenberg creature of this movie and it gets to be her performance and it kind of feels like I don't know if people got that or had that read on the movie at the time in a way that like it put so much negative opinion on her performance, you know, because it's right out in front rather than people seeing her as a piece of everything that Cronenberg is doing with this movie. It's a very risky performance. And with that risk, like that is the risk. The risk is, Mm -hmm people will think that it's being um, too much, that you're not in control of your instrument, that it's too hammy, that it's over the top, all whatever. Like, that is the risk. And I think the payoff is that enough people will see in this performance something intentional and special and all of that. It's interesting, just to sort of jump back to something you had said a second ago, about her sort of pushing back against all of these corset movies. And yet that is a, a well, she continues to go back to. It's not like she's ever really left that behind, Mm -hmm. right? She made Colette like two years ago or whatever. Um, 
in between, you know, all these movies, she does Anna Karenina. She does, I mean, The Imitation Game isn't a corset movie, but it's definitely a period piece. And that gets mm-hmm. her her second Oscar nomination. Um, even, I mean, God knows, I think she's a fucking hoot in Nutcracker and the Four Realms. But that's also like... <laughs> Hello, boys. Oh my God, she's, oh God, she's delicious. She is having the time of her life yep. with the millennials in that movie. Um, Absolutely true. But she does start taking these more contemporary roles after a dangerous method she's in begin again which like famously her jerk ass of a director john carney like years later like completely shits on her performance in that movie talks about how he never wants to work with models again uh really like denigrating her performance even though she's great in that movie i think like i think she's Mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful she's in the lynn shelton movie laggies that is super underrated and she's really good in that so like uh, Lorraine Scafaria is searching for a friend at the end of the world. Right, which is not which, my like, favorite movie, but like, yeah, it's mine definitely... either. I might need to watch it again, but she was definitely my favorite thing about the movie. And again, it's a very sort of like contemporary thing. Obviously, the flawless, unimpeachable film Collateral Beauty. She is playing a contemporary role, and oh well, contemporary modern, slash timeless, I suppose you can really modern like... masterpiece of um my brain cracking in half and a dragon coming out (laughs) collateral beauty um i don't know i just think she and cronenberg deserve a lot of credit for kind of undermining not just her perception as a performer in this performance but also undermining like what this genre is um and i don't think that that was something people took in at the time when like processing this movie. Yeah. I mean, Cronenberg has a gift with actors that I think is pretty underrated. Mm -hmm. He's not really known for, I think he's mostly known for the body horror stuff and his, I mean, like Cronenberg women are always incredible. Like Maria Bello is probably one of the like Oscar snubs of my lifetime in a history of violence the campaigning Um, on that was just dumb if they had decided early on that she was one or the other leader supporting she would have been nominated absolutely i completely agree um samantha egger in the brood is incredible (laughs) um alien baby liquor whatever demonic baby liquor yeah, even Genevieve Bujold in Dead Ringers is doing something that's like not going to get a ton of attention from people, even though I think she won Critics Prizes for that movie. But like, she's insanely good in Dead Ringers. Yeah. Chris, I heard a What's rumor that rumor? you have a quiz for me. I not only have a quiz for you, I have two. Oh, wow. I was not prepared for two. The first, the first one is really brief, and it's actually to help you with the real quiz today, your real game for today, because okay. I know you haven't seen all of the Cronenberg movies. I have not. So we're going to quickly classify them, all of his movies, to help you as like kind of a little hint okay. for your second game. Okay. Joseph. I like, I like a two-part quiz. If there are two things that you could describe Cronenberg's filmography with, Two words. What would those words be? Oh, um, what are like um, the things that he is known for in all of his movies? that are defining traits. Well, body horror, but that's two. That's a double word term. Body horror. So, like physical things, like 
gore. Yes, gore. Yes. What's another uh, theme? Um, sex. Exactly. Sex, gore. So I have a game that I have called, that I have dubbed Gross, Horny, or Both. Ah! I'm going to tell you Ah! the David Cronenberg filmography, each of the movies, and you have to tell me if it is gross, horny, or both. Okay. All right. Starting from the beginning of his film, the movie Shivers. Shivers I've actually seen. Shivers is both horny and gross. Shivers is both. Shivers is about basically um, uh, uh, the horniness as a disease. A horny like disease a, that sweeps through. A horny virus. Complex. Like yes. people get the virus and they're horny. And then they kill uh, each other for, for yes. through sex. Next film, Rabid. Rabid I know nothing about. I'm going to say it's gross. But not Rabbit horny. is actually both. Ugh. Rabbit, starring porn star Marilyn Chambers, is about basically a virus that she is spreading through. She gets like a wound in her armpit and it starts biting people. So she has like a killer armpit. But the armpit, <laughs> like, again, no children for this episode. Get ready for these games. The armpit basically looks like a butthole that has a clitoris and it bites people. <laughs> Oh, right. Bring it on. I got to see. Welcome to Cronenberg. Welcome. Uh, Cronenberg's next movie, his worst movie. I was mad I watched this. Um, It is called Fast Company. It's about car racing. Is it just horny? It is just horny. Um, There is a scene where uh, a man pours literal motor oil over a lady's breasts while they are interacting. It is it's a terrible movie. That was like the only Cronenberg aspect. Otherwise, it just looks like something that should be lost to time. Uh, Sorry, David, that movie's terrible. All right. Your next movie, The Brood. All right. I definitely know The Brood is gory, but like it's also about birthing a demon baby. So to get there, I imagine there would be some horniness. So I'm going to say both. No, the brood is just gross. It oh, okay. like yes, there's like sexual politics in it, but that brood is not very horny. Okay. Uh, next movie, uh, Scanners, the notorious Scanners. Scanners is the famous shot of the guy's head exploding, which many a GIF has enjoyed. Um, I'm going to say it's just gross. Scanners is just gross. Okay. All right, the next movie, which you haven't seen, I highly recommend that you do, Videodrome. Is it gross, horny, or both? If it's a James Woods movie that's horny, that automatically makes it gross, so I'm going to say both. (laughs) It is indeed both for the reasons you say and for the reasons that you uh, have not acknowledged. The Dead Zone, (laughs) is it gross, horny, or both? It's gross. Just gross. I wrote that it's kind of both because there's like this underlying level of like the love interest. They never had sex before he had his accident or whatever. So there's always this sexual tension. Okay. But you're probably more right that it's just gross. It's like, like yeah, there's definitely sexual tension, but I don't know if I would describe it as horny. Sure. Dead Zone is probably his most neither movie, right? That's that's probably fair. Though, like, the thing with the scissors, all of yes. the gunshots in that movie are yes. a lot of gunshot. Um, yes. Yeah, correct. His next film, The Fly. All right, The Fly is definitely gross. But, like, he does have that romance with Gina Davis, which doesn't feel super horny, but, like, horny enough. So I will say both. 
It is both. Jeff Goldblum is naked for a decent portion of that That's movie, true. which makes it inherently horny. That's true. That's a good point. Dead Ringers. The Jeremy Irons as twins movie. Dead Twin Gynecologist. This is another one that's like at the top of my list of things I have to see. Oh, you gotta watch that wild ass movie. It's horny but not gross. Nope. It is indeed very, very both. Okay. It is probably his most horny, if not his most gross, the most like skin crawling, I would okay. say. Okay. Um next movie, the William S. Burroughs. Uh, adaptation Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch, I famously tried to watch and turned it off after five minutes because of the cockroaches. So yeah. definitely gross. And it's called Naked Lunch, which I know is like not like there's that great Simpsons joke where it's the Barton, Milhouse, and Nelson or whatever all walking out of a movie uh, uh, with the Marquis as Naked Lunch. And uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Nelson just goes, I can think of at least two things wrong with that title. <laughs> so, like, I know, like, but, like, it does have the term naked in the title, so I'm just going to guess that it's both. It is both. The The bugs become uh, pretty sexual at, at one point. Christ. There's there's a lot of, like, sex stuff with a I'm typewriter. I'm just never, I'm just never going to watch it. I can't, it's too cockroach forward for me. I can't. It was one of my least favorite ones. I understand why some people might like it, but I was like, I, I just don't care. Um. His next film, reuniting with Jeremy Irons, M. Butterfly. Just horny, not gross. It is just horny, but it is debatably gross because, spoiler alert, it ends with Jeremy Irons slashing his own throat open. Oh, well, okay. And that's pretty bloody, uh, but it's mostly just horny. It's a a chill horny, um, but it's horny. Uh, Crash. Crash is explicitly both. Crash, the whole point of Crash is that it's both. It's, the point is it's both, horny, gross, but like it's not gory. Well, he has sex with an like open one wound. Thing. He like he he fucks her leg wound. Like, that's gross. I'm sorry. I said the crash. Is I am I am as sex positive crash. as the next guy, but like uh, that that's maybe a lie. Yes. Okay. It's a metaphor, Joe. I know. I don't know if you know that the movie about people getting horny from car crashes <laughs> is a metaphor, but okay. it's a metaphor. Okay. All right, Existence. Both. Uh, I said debatably both, but it is mostly gross because it's not like Chris. there's actual nudity. Butthole uh, it, All right, fine. Butthole it's, fine. It's, both. it's so uh, horny. Jude, Jude Law wants pegged. It's fine. Yes, yes. Um, all right, Spider is his next film. Oh, gosh. Spider, again, as we've mentioned, I've seen and yet remember very little about. And also, you just described the plot to me, and I still don't know what I'm going to say for this. I'm going to say it is both. Yeah, spider is horny. It's a, a but only kind of horny. Okay. So There's a whole both... like affair. Everything. Okay. Yeah. A okay. history of violence. Both. Very horny. It and also both. the violence is pretty violent. The violence is pretty bad. Um, yeah. uh, Eastern promises. Uh, if only for the scene in the bathhouse where he is naked and, and uh, fighting. It's both. But I said that it was debatably both for that reason. I think it's mostly just gross because, like, he's starkers in that scene, but it's not sexy. No, but the film ogles him. Like, the film makes Sure, sure. There's him. other sex scenes with him. I think that that movie just qualifies as gross. Okay. He makes a man, like, he knocks a man's neck back into a knife, and it, that made me yeah. want to scream. Yeah. Uh, all right, w- the movie we are at, A Dangerous Method. Horny, not gross. 
Yeah, probably his least gross movie. Yeah, yeah. Cosmopolis. <sighs> All right, now I've got to like wrangle with co- what Cosmopolis is about. So it's not explicitly. I mean, he does have sex in the limo with. Is it Samantha Morton he has sex with? Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche, right? Um, so it's definitely horny, and there's like moral grossness to it. If you want to get like real, like you know, metaphorical about it, but I don't know. I can't recall any like explicit physical grossness, so I'm just gonna say it's just horny. Yes, yeah. just horny. Okay. Robert Pattinson gets a prostate exam with, forgive me, I forgot her name again, the actress who plays Stevie on uh, Shit's Creek. Oh, right, Emily Hampshire. Yeah. Yes, she does not give it, but they have, like, a full conversation while he is getting a prostate exam. Right. In a car. Fucking movie. And then his final film, Maps to the Stars. I think Maps to the Stars is gross as hell. I don't remember if there's, like, blood or gore, but, like, I find it just disgusting. Um, But it's also very horny. I wrote that it is horny debatably both because Olivia Williams self-immolates, but it looks yes, terrible. that's right. It's but like also, the worst CGI. Like 2010's John Cusack is inherently gross, right? Yes. yes. So like that counts as far as I'm concerned. That is the David Cronenberg filmography. That's a really and that good game. was gross, horny, or both. Oh and now God. we are moving on to a game we have done before, a game that I have dubbed Parental Advisory. Yes. I am going to read you uh the parental warnings from imdb of various movies giving you three titles that you have to guess which one is which i have removed character names and you have to tell me what movie it is i will give you options since you have not seen them all hopefully gross horny or both will lead you in the right direction okay are you ready for parental advisory yes okay a female character tells a male character to punish her as sexual as to sexually excite her, and on two occasions we see him spanking her backside. Is it Crash, a dangerous method, or Maps to the Stars? A dangerous method. It is indeed a dangerous method. I started easy for Thank the movie you. that we are talking about today. Thank you. All right. A man fights two others while fully nude. Eastern Promises, M. Butterfly, or Shivers? Eastern Promises. Yes. One fully clothed sex scene in a car lasts about 20 seconds. Is it Cosmopolis, Crash, or Fast Company? Um, well, I think the sex scenes in Crash are longer and do feature some nudity, so I'm going to say Cosmopolis. Yes, it is indeed Cosmopolis. Crash is, I can't imagine a sex scene lasting only 20 seconds in Crash. <laughs> they last 20 Forever. years. Yeah, they do. Yes. A man and a woman have sex in a car. The woman has a large open scar on her leg, and it is implied that the man uses this scar as a vagina. What did is I it tell Cosmopolis, you? Crash, or Spider? As previously referenced, it is definitely Crash. It is indeed Crash. Um, a man and a woman have fully clothed, scare quotes, doggy-style sex in a limousine. Is it Cosmopolis, Crash, or Maps to the Stars? Well, we've already done Cosmopolis, so I imagine this has got to be Maps to the Stars. It is indeed Maps to the Who Stars. Who is it in Maps that to the be... Stars? It is Julianne Moore and Robert Pattinson, while oh, Mia Wasikowska right. watches. Right. Good golly. 
Uh, next one is also easy for you. In an iconic scene, a man's head graphically explodes. Is it Existence Scanners or Videodrome? It's my Twitter feed every third day. Somebody uh, posts that <laughs> gif. It is Scanners. <laughs> it is Scanners. It is very gross and iconic. All right, the next one. Male character and female character try to make up for not being with each other in high school, so they dress up like themselves back when they were in high school and start to make out. Is it The Fly, A History of Violence, or Shivers? Oh, it is A History of Violence, the cheerleader thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Correct. You have a perfect score so far. All right. Right? All right. This is maybe where it gets a little bit... Um, <laughs> uh, actually, no, it's still pretty easy. Um, a man embeds a pair of scissors into his head. <laughs> the Dead Zone. M. Butterfly. Or spider. Boy, lucky we've ended up discussing these scenes specifically. I know. I did not. I was not prepared for uh, some of these to go mentioned already. This is the dead zone. This is indeed the dead zone. The only gross thing in the dead zone. That's not a bullet wound. Right. Um, Okay. Next one. Female character takes a bath while showing nothing is implied. A creature enters her through her genitals. Is it the brood naked lunch or shivers? I think this is shivers. It is indeed shivers. Um, I'm surprised you'd seen that one. So you got that. Good job. Still got a perfect was on. I will say uh, when I used to do trivia at videology, I would show up early because you have to show up ungodly early to get a table and, and they, they would, just threw that on for the public. <laughs> well, it was in the back room, and they would just be showing movies back there. And yeah, Shivers was the movie they were showing that day. So yes. Gotcha. Videology was the best. All right, next question. Yeah. There is a scene where one character cuts a cord which is connected to another user. The cord squirts blood for a while. It's pretty gross. This is my beloved existence, yes? Yes, I, your other options were scanners and Videodrome, but oh, I knew right. you would get it. I literally just pick that one because sometimes the sentence structures of these are just too good (laughs) they're just wonderful oh well this one i already spoiled for you um a man looks at a woman uh, a man looks at a woman's wound on her armpit a bloody proboscis comes out of the wound and stabs him it's seen several times is it the brood rabid or videodrome it's rabid i guess i have to see this movie now it's kind of it's it's really grungy, but it's it's a movie. All right, a woman bites into a bulged organ, removing a still fetus, then licks blood off of the ladder. The Brood, Naked Lunch, or Spider? This is the one scene I've seen from The Brood. The Brood is good. The Brood is the right answer. Um, a man is shot multiple times, then tumors form where the gunshot wounds are, and they proceed to erupt out of his body. Is it the fly, scanners, or videodrome? Um, I mean, I've seen the fly, and there's a lot of big, exploding grossness in the fly. And I'll feel bad if I get that wrong, so I'm just going to guess the fly, even though it's probably something else. It is videodrome. Okay. Um, Tumors wasn't quite the way to describe what was happening in the fly, so yeah, I get it. I mean, I think that's an accurate one. It's a giant cancer metaphor. Um, A man peels off his fingernails. Blood is shown, but a pus-like substance is secreted. Is it existence, the fly, or rabid? This is the fly, right? That is definitely the fly. Yeah. (laughs) That was why my log was as a scab picker. I can relate. Um, 
Next question. Male character dreams another male character is in bed with him and a female character, with the men connected by a strange scar. She says she'll separate them and bites the scar, pulling out some bloody material. Is it the brood, dead ringers, or shivers? Oh, golly. Um, is this the brood again? It is iconically dead ringers. Wow. Okay. Oh, that wait, is, the, the way brothers. that this is yes, described is way tamer than it is in the movie. I should have guessed because of the two. Yeah. In bed with the two male characters. Yeah. We see a man's nose pushed back into his head with the nose bone protruding from his forehead. Oh, is it Eastern promises, existence or a history of violence? Well, it's either Eastern promises or a history of violence, and I'm trying to remember. I'm going to guess a history of violence. It is a history of violence. It's yeah. one of the scenes that they edited down for the NC-17 because it was originally like shooting a bunch of blood out, oh. and they just like digitally erased the blood, and it was fine. Because, you know, it's not any gr- yeah. less gross, I guess. Yeah. Um, a female character exposes her breast to a child. Is it Dead Ringers, Maps to the Stars, or Spider? Is it Spider? It's Spider. Yeah, okay. Splashes a boob. Um, <laughs> creatures have mouths that look suspiciously like giant anuses or female genitalia, which talk to people. Is it the brood, naked lunch, or videodrome? Oh my god. Is this videodrome? It is not. It is naked lunch. Naked lunch. Fucking naked lunch. Next question. There are several scenes of passionate kissing, a brief clothes scene depicting anal intercourse, as well as a clothes scene suggesting that oral intercourse is about to take place. Is it A Dangerous Method, M. Butterfly, or Maps to the Stars? Can you? That was just I'm sorry, but sentence. can you read that one more time? I chose this one because it's one of the ones where I was like, "This, this." I'm trying I, to diagram this, the, the sentence, and I think I just died. Exactly, of a... this one run-on sentence, which yeah. I love on those parental advisory things. Um, okay, there are several scenes of passionate kissing, a brief clothed scene depicting anal intercourse, as well as a clothed scene suggesting that oral intercourse is about to take place. A dangerous method. M Butterfly or Maps to the Stars. I mean, I don't think we've had an M Butterfly yet, so I'm going to say M Butterfly. It is indeed M Butterfly. Great deductive logic, though. That could have happened. That description could have happened in all three of those Absolutely. movies. I was trying to think. I was just like, this sort of happened in The Dangerous Method. Not entirely, but yeah. All right. Next question. A man and a woman have sex. We see the man thrusting in the distance along. He pierces her ear while doing this. Are your your options are crash, naked lunch, and videodrome? Oh boy, oh boy. Um, naked lunch. No, it is videodrome. videodrome. Okay. And your final question, pointedly, I made this your final question. A woman kills another woman by beating her to death with an Oscar award. They wrote that hat. <laughs> It is Crash, Dead Ringers, or Maps to the Stars. Of course it is Maps to the Stars. It is Maps to the Stars. Though I, it's not an Oscar, but it is, it's a gold trophy of some kind. Right. It's meant to uh, evoke an Oscar. Yeah. Evoke an Oscar. That's a fantastic that, and 
unwell quiz, but well done. Uh, unfortunately, the conversation led naturally before we got here to some of those to give you the answer. But unfortunately, I hope fortunately had... for me, I, I, I like to do well at quizzes. I think the other point in creating this quiz for you to kind of loop it back to a dangerous method is to loop in or at least underline how kind of bizarre it is to be having an Oscar conversation at, with Cronenberg's name at the same time, considering yeah. the type of movies that he makes. Vigo really or has you know, grounded him in those in that little era, though. It's really, you know, I guess it was surprising when A History of Violence seemingly, even though, again, nose bone protruding and whatnot, um, mm -hmm. seemingly stayed within the boundaries of what you could call Oscar eligible, you know, Oscar friendly yeah. work. Whereas, well, like, and I think the critics kind of, oh, I, I don't want to say single-handedly because they did run a strong, if misguided campaign for that movie. Hashtag Maria Bello. But that definitely uh, a history of violence was kind of at least launched because of the critical response, right? Yes. As an Oscar contender. Yeah, well, and, and also, it might have been uh, a Best Picture nominee in a year of ten. I wonder what would have happened to that movie if there it was a year of ten. There was also, yeah, I think that's right. I think in, if if two thousand five is a ten, History of Violence probably does better is. across the board. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but the interesting thing about the Cronenberg Awards conversation is he had been on the periphery for a while, where like. Dead Ringers gets a lot of critics' prizes for Jeremy Irons in Best Actor, and that pretty much leads the path directly to him winning the Oscar in 1994 um, Reversal of Fortune. In fact, in his mm -hmm. acceptance speech, he thanks Cronenberg for you know giving him giving his career such a boost and yeah. in many and ways that's a performance that's absolutely incredible but oscar will never in a million years go for right right um and then naked lunch gets like uh what did it, it won national society of film critics they got a lot of critics prizes especially right. um for the screenplay because that movie it's not just like an adaptation of that text which is already really difficult and people have tried to it is um somewhat um it's not a burroughs biopic but it weaves details specifically about burroughs in with the actual text too so it's like it's a meaty piece of adaptation that like critics yeah. celebrated naked lunch wins screenplay at national society of film critics new york society of film critics boston society of film critics it also wins best director at national society and best supporting actress for judy davis at new york film critics circle mm -hmm. um and so and i think m butterfly also had some like critics prize attention maybe or at least was i like, don't think so no, that seems like that? more like our avenue of movies that we talk about here okay I well think. then i'm wrong about that but i think because of that and then crash wins a prize at can even though it's mm -hmm. incredibly controversial and incredibly divisive they made a prize for it at can right so that 
I think that sort of like ramping up, then you get this run with Existence, which was never going to, you know, be a prize winner. And then mm-hmm. Spider, which also wasn't, but I remember there being like preseason, like, oh, Miranda Richardson's playing multiple roles. That's a baby kind of thing. Maybe Miranda Richardson. Sony Classics kind of flubbed the release and the Very strategy so. for that movie. Nobody um, knew what year that movie was eligible for. Right, I think it was one right. of those that opened in LA, but not New York. And yes, straddled. And it was like New Year's Eve, something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there was this sense that like Cronenberg's on the periphery, but there's always something that is too weird, gross, controversial that is keeping it mm-hmm. away. And so there was a lot of interpretations of movies at the time, like Dead Ringers, too, that he was uh, like a misogynist or anything. When really, uh, I think now you can look at some of these movies in hindsight, especially all of them together, and see that like. A lot of his movies are critiquing and unpacking yeah. male psychosis rather than reinforcing it. Well, you, know? you see that in A Dangerous Method, where it's the hook of this is, and you, it's reflected in the Hampton play as well. The hook of this is, you know, Freud and Young, you know, Batman versus Superman. And, but ultimately, the, the most important character in this movie is Kira Knightley's character. Mm-hmm. And, this sort of woman who was their intellectual equal, but for many societal reasons has not been recognized historically on the same level and a dangerous. And even for these men too, like she is some type of even Jung who's supposed to love her. She's some like jockeying point where it's like, she is going to fall in line with one or the other. And like, she is some like pawn between them in a way, but really what she ends up coming up with is some of her own ideas and like studying in the, the field of children. Um, So it's like, she does go her own way and she can borrow pieces from both of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that, with Cronenberg, it was sort of the fact that a history of violence was ultimately not about bugs or having sex with open wounds or, you know, whatever, that it was normalized Cronenberg mm-hmm. enough that, okay, now all these people who maybe really liked his movies, but there was one hang up or another. At the very least, we could get a little bit of awards love for a history of violence and, you know, Eastern promises then as well, because again, the American sort of like, uh, critical, not critical establishment, but like the American psyche is much more accepting of violence than sex. Like that is mm-hmm. definitely a thing. And, but even so, because the sex is somewhat explicit or at least very, uh, intense in a history of violence. Like I do think, there is a certain embracing of, even though it only got the nomination for William Hurt, but like it was very much in the conversation for other categories. Yeah. There, there's been a chipping away at like Academy prudishness too. Oh, absolutely. That like, it's not just because it's not like bugs fucking on the freeway. Um, is not, this movie's not that, that like, you know, it's still a pretty explicit movie. Um, but people are less, you know, but also I think it's, I think it's, decently interesting that a dangerous method which is his most quote-unquote normal movie Mm -hmm. i would say 
doesn't get the acting nomination that A History of Violence got and Eastern Promises got. I think partly because, even though like Viggo Mortensen, who was the, you know, the closest it got to an acting nomination, certainly there's nothing overtly sexual about his character. But I think because the thing that was Cronenberg-y about A Dangerous Method was about sex and humiliation and spanking and sort of like that whole, you know, kinky aspect of the knightly character, I think it probably kept awards voters more of an arm's length than Mm -hmm. the violence did in the two other Vigo movies. I think that's probably true, especially in this year where the two front runners are these, you know, pretty tame sanitized period films different periods than this obviously but yeah like hugo Hugo. it's it's i wouldn't say it's a costume drama but it like you know certainly has a certain perception about it and then the artist as well yes yeah Uh, you mentioned uh when we were talking about what we wanted to discuss for this movie that you wanted to get into the supporting actress race that Mm -hmm. year because that's where nightly likely would have been placed Mm -hmm. as an awards contender and it's an interesting read off the read off the nominees for that the actual nominees obviously octavia spencer wins for the help the other nominees are bernice bergeau for the artist jessica chastain for the help melissa mccarthy for bridesmaids and janet mcteer for albert knobs it's I think with I think I would say with the exception of Melissa McCarthy, who everybody agrees delivers a fantastic performance in a comedy and the kind of comedy that is so rarely recognized, like everybody I think is probably on board with that nomination. All of the other four of them have their detractors. Mm-hmm. I think the very nature of what the help is as a movie will mean that even though the performances, all three nominated performances from that movie, I think are great performances. I think Viola is great. Octavia is great. Jessica Chastain is great. But it's all in service of a movie that is pretty questionable for a lot of people. So that's mm-hmm. always going to have like a drawback. And I, I, I do love Octavia Spencer and Jessica Chastain in that movie, but they wouldn't make my ballot. Um, I think that's right. I think I would agree with that. Well, Jessica Chastain, too, also, like, that was such a year for her, and that was probably the movie that was the most embraced by Oscar, in a way, even though, like, Tree of Life landed those nominations. It's just, like, are you going, are they, is Oscar more likely to nominate her bigger performance in The Help? She or, is um, a delight being, in The Help. She is. She's great. Um I would have, of her, like, what, four movies that year? Was it three or four? I would have nominated her for Take Shelter. Um, sure. Right, but right, right. still not even on my ballot. I mean, she, yeah, she was in, I think it was at least four, right? Because it's The Help and Tree of Life and Take Shelter. And um, what was, is it The Debt? Is The Debt that same year? I think it was. Hold on, let me look this up now. Because there's also that movie Texas Killing Fields, which I don't know when it. Yeah, she had other movies that States. came out that year too that just like nobody saw or knew about. Texas Killing Fields played at the Venice Film Festival this same year that um, that A Dangerous Method was there. I sort of looked that up too. That's an interesting 
uh, Venice Film Festival, where not everything is great that year. Uh, Carnage, uh, the Roman Polanski adaptation of God of Carnage was in competition. Ides of March, which I don't like, is in competition. Killer Joe, the Friedkin adaptation of the Tracy Let's Play that I don't like is there. So like, there's a lot of that, but like, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spies there. Andre Arnold's Wuthering Heights is at Venice that year. Shame, the Steve McQueen Shame. So like, obviously the Michael Fassbender Sans. I don't, you can't call it a renaissance because whatever the Michael Fassbender breakthrough was happening in a big mm-hmm. way. Um, wait, so Jessica Chastain. We definitely need to get into that too. I know, I know. All right, quickly, Jessica Chastain's 2011. It is Take Shelter. Okay, it's way more than just four. Take Shelter, Coriolanus, The Tree of Life, The Help, Texas Killing Fields, and The Wild Salome. That like quasi oh, yeah. documentary direct uh, directed by Al Pacino thing, which I don't think was even released until a few years later. Right, but like all of those are marked as 2011. So like it was, and it was she came from nowhere. She was like, and the debt was technically she came from Juilliard. A no, mm-hmm. but like in terms of just like yes, like obviously mm-hmm. she came from somewhere, but like just in terms of like she was, you know, who was this person who all of a sudden is in everything. And I think it was, uh, I might not have the story right, but I'm pretty sure because Tree of Life filmed like three or four years or something before right. it was released. Right. It was just this weird confluence of all of everything sort mm-hmm. of, you know, released. So she's ha- she's an actress who has this on her resume working for Terrence Malick opposite Brad Pitt and like has a good relationship with those people that can yeah. help her get other jobs. And it just all so happens yep. to come out at once. Uh, former guest uh, Bobby Finger, he and I were at some sort of gathering at a bar somewhere. And I remember, I think he had read, maybe read the book The Help or knew enough about this is before, just uh, maybe a few months before The Help comes out. And we were talking about it, I was sort of talking about it in like general, like, you know, Oscar terms or whatever. And he said, watch this jessica chastain performance because she's playing the most fun character in the book and like he's like that's he basically called her nomination like pretty mm-hmm. early which was I she's also the only this. white character that really feels like they do i mean she doesn't really do much but like the only one that feels like she does something against the racism in her community right because even the emma stone character is so incredibly passive and right. like gets the credit for these Jessica Chastain's Jessica Chastain plays the one white character in the help who you don't have to feel bad about liking I mean and like imagine for Academy voters they feel good about nominating her too um oh boy that movie the other two nominees I think Janet McTeer is very good in Albert Nobbs although Albert Nobbs is just such a deeply strange movie I haven't um, seen it. It's just really? like the lingering. You know how I. You know my feeling. You know. Oh, that's how right. I, You're a Glenn Close uh, uh, phobe. Um, my dominant reaction to Janet McTeer and Albert Nobbs is at one point she um, pulls her shirt down and she exposes her breasts, and they are enormous and wonderful and good for Janet McTeer. Oh. Um, and okay. then Berenice Bijot in The Artist is a performance I never got the hype for ever. Even when I was like, oh, the artist is a good, like, I was, I was okay positive on the artist. I was like, that's a, you know, I was good movie, but like, okay, why about the artist in like every possible way? Like, (laughs) I understand Jean Dujardin 
getting love for that movie and that's it um the artist this is why i don't love this oscar year do you have your 2011 is a deeply deeply bad oscar year i will say like even even when it's stuff that i don't necessarily hate it's just like Oh, it's so frustrating. It's such a frustrating year. There's so much better stuff. Yes, my own personal supporting actress ballot. Do you have yours as well? I do. Do you want to go first or second? We haven't done one of these in a while. I know, we haven't. Also partly why I was like pulling this out to be like, we should do this. Let me go first. All right. Okay. Mine, None. Of, there's zero crossover with the Oscars. I sort of went, I, I made some reaches, but I stand by all of these, I think, at this point. So let's go... Uh, in order from fifth to first, let's say. All right. My number fifth five... Fifth to first, not alphabetical. Oh, no, let's go... No, no, I have respect for the Oscars. That's right, alphabetical. All right, <laughs> alphabetical order. Jeannie Berlin for Margaret. Amazing. She's so good. She's so wonderful. Thank God that movie eventually came out. Rose Byrne for Bridesmaids, which I don't... Like, nothing against Melissa McCarthy, but I think Rose Byrne gives the best performance in Bridesmaids. She's... A fucking scream. She's so funny in every single scene. Uh, Dagmara Deminchik, Mrs. Uh, Patrick Wilson. In Amazing. Higher Ground. How much do you love Dagmara Deminchik in like the three scenes she's allowed to do anything in Succession? She's so good. She's so good. She plays <laughs> Everyone such on Succession a perfect is great. corporate crony like she's absolutely amazing um higher ground was the movie that vera farmiga directed about a woman who has is in this very sort of repressive religious um it's not like a it's not like a cult but it's like it's a it's a very conservative religious community and she's sort of um is straining against the boundaries of it she's very very good it's a really underrated movie that i think more people should see and dagmara dimensic plays her friend uh her best friend in that movie and she's absolutely you wonderful. Should watch that you should highly recommend it uh carrie mulligan for shame shame is a movie i should see again and i will probably like less than i did the first time i was a big shame defender at the time and i think there are the more like little moments of it that I think of, I'm just like, okay, well, I don't like that. And I don't like that. But like, I stand by in my memory, at least Carrie Mulligan's performance. I think she's phenomenal in that. And my fifth nominee is Amy Ryan from the film Win Win, the Tom Almost Made Mine. She's probably my sixth place. She's phenomenal in that movie in a role that Win Win is incredible. Very easily could have been just a like, you know, standby wife movie, but she really is allowed to be a character in her own right. And she's Amy Ryan really delivers. She's great. As someone who hated gone baby gone and kind of hated her performance in the movie. Win win should be Amy Ryan's Oscar nomination. She's so good. All right. So good. So that's my five. All right. We have a decent amount of overlap. Nice. I also have Jeannie Berlin in Margaret. Yeah. Incredible. I also just, fucking adore Jeannie Berlin um again great on succession uh Margaret is like oh boy that the whole story of that movie like it, it would feel like you know a little bit of a cheat for us to do an episode on that but like guys if you don't know anything about this movie or the release or like the uh, support it received after its non-release like read up on it it's fascinating yes. um, and then watch the movie it's a masterpiece um, I also have Rose Byrne for Bridesmaids 
Do neither of us have any Oscar nominees on our ballot? Um, I don't. I have no Oscar I, I don't either. Yeah. I did put Kira Knightley from A Dangerous Method. Nice. I think she's great. It's not just this physical thing. I think in the ways that I said maybe my complaint about the movie is its lack of a clear arc. I think she absolutely does. And I think her physicality carries throughout the movie beyond the tick and like beyond the, you know, throwing her jaw into the Atlantic. Um, Kira Knightley is actually in ninth on my lead actress list. Oh, time. you think she's a lead? Yeah, I think it's a uh, I think I don't, it's... I don't think the movie ever adopts her perspective at all. That's fair. Um, but I understand she has a decent amount of screen time. If that's, you know, how you feel. Um, that is so backhanded. Sorry. No, no, it's not. I suppose she has screen time. If that's how you feel. (laughs) Shut up. Um, I also have Carrie Mulligan from shame. I understand people's complaints about shame. I understand people's complaints about Steve McQueen's films in general. I still am just very taken with how he manifests physical experiences for the audiences of his movies. I think Carrie Mulligan is just incredible in that movie. Um, and then wait, wait, fifth... before, we, before we move on, just a thought experiment. Okay. Steve McQueen directs a dangerous method. David Cronenberg directs shame. What happens? Uh, I think both of those movies aren't as good. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. I don't want to see shame directed by Cronenberg. I don't think that's what that movie is about. What I don't, things I don't think does what shame Michael is Fassbender about. have sex with in that movie if Cronenberg directs it? <laughs> like sides of buildings? Like anthropomorphic? Probably. If it's like the city is destroying you, yeah, he like fucks a Dwayne Reed or something. <laughs> yeah. um, Dwayne Reed anthropomorphizes and um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh. The David Cronenberg shame definitely has more of the like whole webcam aspect of it. Mm, yes. Um, my fifth uh, person on my ballot though would be Kim Wayans for Pariah. Oh, that's a great. That's a great uh, nomination. People really only talk about Adapero in that movie, but I rewatched it this Pride Month, and I'm like, everyone in this ensemble is amazing. Yeah. Um, Kim Wayans got some talk, but like. Rob Morgan's great in that movie. Yeah. Um, everybody should watch Pariah. So what you're saying is, what about Kim Wayans? What about <laughs> Pariah? <laughs> I, I am always saying this, yes. Also, yes. along those lines, how would Meryl Streep in 2011 have pronounced Dagmara Dimenchik? <laughs> uh, I think she would probably say Dagmara correctly and then say Dagmara uh Rooney. (laughs) (laughs) Gilda. Uh, Yeah, I had Asha Davis from Pariah on my top 10 that year. Uh, Pariah has a fantastic supporting cast, but like a bunch of my like runners up would have been great nominees. Sarah Paulson for Martha Marcy May Marlene. She's on my long list. Colette Um, Wolf for her like one phenomenal scene in Young Adult. It pains me not to put Colette Wolf on there, but like it's a, it's, a very short performance but it's one of my favorites um yeah. jay smith cameron and margaret yep um i also have on my long list uh how do you feel about a separation i think a separation is fantastic i i put sarah Bayat on my long list for that movie she's the one who's pregnant yes 
I have uh, uh, Payman Moadi for a separation on my best actor list. Mm. Yes. It's a really interesting year. The best movies that year were great in a way that like completely bypassed the Oscar conversation. I think Certified Copy that year was amazing. Hana just watched that Joe for the Wright, first Hana. time and I lost my mind. It's certified so copy is so good. good. Juliet Binoche and Certified Copy is one of the best performances of that whole decade. It's I've been trying to get you to watch Let the Sunshine in and like you, you want to talk I about will, incredible Binoche performance. The thing about me and Claire Denis is I was so ready to love um High Life. No. No, I actively did not like High Life. Oh, I love High Life. No, what's the one? Bo Trevi. I was so yes. ready to love Bo Trevi. And then I watched it and I was a little alienated by not quite getting the love for it. Mm-hmm. And and then High Life, I like actively disliked, which may have been circumstantial. That last movie at TIFF is always a bit of a struggle right where it's just yeah like, we saw it at like 10 o'clock at night on the very last late day at night on the last day and i was just like oh boy oh boy but like i definitely didn't connect with it and i'm like maybe claire denis is one of those like brilliant filmmakers who i'm just too stupid to enjoy and like that's i maybe think that let the sunshine in will be the movie that unlocks for you like what she's doing and maybe. like how she does it perhaps um but it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> I do love Juliette Binoche. So, like, even, I mean, again, High Life also. Like, it's still worth it to see a Juliette Binoche performance in anything. Yeah. Let's not forget she has a giant sex braid um, and rattles herself in the, in the fuck box in High Life. Yes, she does. Where were we? Okay. We need to talk about Michael Fassbender. Well, wait. Who is oh, your, wait, uh, before we move on to Fassbender, who, who would be your winner? Carrie Mulligan. Same. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Wow, we're way more for two lineups that went really far afield of the Oscar conversation that year. We were remarkably in sync. Like that's kind of amazing. Love it. Watch higher. All right, Ground. Michael I think Fassbender. You really like yes. The thing about Fassbender in this movie, like it never, when he's winning like critics prizes this year, sometimes just for body of work, sometimes for best actor, they lump them all together, right? But really, the one that was close to Oscar, probably sixth or seventh place in Best Actor, was Shane, right? He got, what, Golden Globe nomination? I don't think he actually got that much. Or maybe he got... No, he definitely got, I think, Critics' Choice, because even Carrie Mulligan got nominated for Critics' Choice for it. Yes. Um, Well, Critics' Choice, again, is a great way to tell what the Oscar, prognostic- Oscar prognosticators are guessing for a movie ahead of time mm-hmm. because they will give you a snapshot of what the conversation is at that moment in December. and Or sometimes they'll do a weird thing that's clearly a weird thing like uh, nominating uh, Tilda for Snowpiercer or right. something. Right. So Michael Fassbender for Shame gets nominated for the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, um... Sorry, as I'm scrolling down. A nominee for Boston Society of Film Critics, which I think means runner-up in this case. Probably. Wins the British Independent Film Award. Nominated at Critics' Choice. A bunch of citations for like regional film critics stuff. But yeah, he was definitely kind of everywhere, except for 
you know, ultimately at the, the Oscar nomination. That year was also the year of Tilda Swinton and We Need to Talk About Kevin. And I always mm-hmm. think of both of those performances in tandem as being left off, even though I think they're both fantastic, but also were both representing very alienating movies. Yeah, the those movies you can kind of tie together to see ways that like maybe Oscar is stodgier than we're giving them credit for in the same episode that I'm like, but they're getting less, you know, prudish, but like, yeah, and maybe I don't actually, I think you're, you're right. I don't think that shame not getting a nomination for Fassbender has really anything to do with the sex of the movie. It is the way you feel about the movie while watching it. Yeah. Um, yes, I think that's right. And Oh, he also, I should say, uh, in terms of um, awards that he won, Los Angeles Film Critics Association, he wins Best Actor for everything. <laughs> Shame, mm-hmm. A Dangerous Method, Jane Eyre, even X-Men First Class gets not, gets noted on that LA Film Critics win, which... It's like, guys, you don't have to do that. Like, yeah. you don't even have to put Jane Eyre on there. I do, I do wonder, I might if I would watch shame again, if I like him in this or shame more because I was taken with him this time in a way that I wasn't before. I want to watch shame again. I also want to watch um, Jane Eyre again. My great shame is that I walked out of Jane Eyre, not necessarily because I hated it because I didn't hate it, but I was definitely, I saw it on a Friday night after I got out of work, a late night for a Friday work. And I was watching that movie and I was just uninterested enough that I literally, my mind started making these calculations of, you know, you got to run this errand and you got to go to the grocery store and you got to go do a whole thing. And just like, if you just leave now, you can be home by X time. And I was just like, it was the most pragmatic walkout I ever had of a movie where I was just like, I just don't have time to finish this movie today. And I've always felt really bad about that because I really love Carrie Fukunaga and... Uh, everybody really loved that movie. I definitely was not on the road to loving that movie. So like, I don't think, I still don't think I'm going to end up being, you know, on team Jane Eyre, like a lot of people were, including Meryl Streep uh, mm-hmm. that year in her speech. But I do feel bad about walking out of Jane Eyre. How close do you think Vigo was? We really haven't talked about him, but he was Globe nominated for it. Yeah. I mean, so wait, let's go in back. a year that weirdly, well, this year is steamrolled by Christopher Plummer, and then second place was probably Kenneth Branagh because he's the one that shows up everywhere else, and I think Jonah Hill does too. Yes. So that's the thing. God, talking about movies that sort of like left me outside of the conversation, I didn't love Beginners. Yeah. I just didn't. Famously, I, you I, don't like it. I should have, I wanted to be swept up. That is like, God, like intergenerational gay familial dramedy i was so ready to and then looking back the fact that it's mike mills who like i loved 20th century women so much it's just kind of baffling to me but like i thought it was fine i thought it was in the you anytime it focused on ewan mcgregor i thought it was obnoxious and anytime Mm -hmm. it focused on christopher Plummer, i thought it was fine and ultimately um Weirdly enough, going through the season, I always thought that second place was Albert Brooks for Drive, who then gets mm-hmm. left off of the Oscar list in a 
big. I mean, it's one of those things where it's a surprise, but also like there were signs along the way, so I can't be like super totally. surprised. But like, I hate that Oscar lineup. Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn is not good. Nick Nolte in Warrior is terrible. Jonah Hill in Moneyball is fine, but only got nominated because people thought that Jonah Hill was a terrible actor and were like surprised that he could be fine. That he could just keep a straight face in a movie for two hours. I love Moneyball, though. I again, Moneyball. I, just, I love Moneyball. I, like I, don't I don't get don't that nomination. It. I don't get why he. Yeah, whatever. So who's the fifth? It's Plummer, Brad, uh, Von Sydow. <laughs> Max Von Sydow. Right, the shocker Max Von Sydow nomination for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which I loved the chaos of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close on that year's Oscar nomination morning so much that I couldn't begrudge the nomination. I was just like, bring it on, bring it all on, melt it all down. What a weird slash bad Oscar year that was. Uh, a bad Oscar year. Yeah. You know who got, else got nominated for Critics' Choice? It was Plummer, Albert Brooks, Kenneth Branagh, Nick Nolte. It was Andy Serkis for Rise of the Planet of the Apes, because every once in a while, especially the Critics' Choice, will try and, like, I think they also nominated Scarlett Johansson for her. Like, they will try for that mm-hmm. thing that the... um the acting community really resists, which is yeah. the the mechanism through which they could become uh, obsolete at some point. Like they really don't like uh, mocap performances. I think for a very practical reason, which is like we don't want to encourage this behavior. And also nominated was Patton Oswalt for Young Adult, who was definitely on the incredible. He should have been nominated. It's Amazing. So much about young adults should have been nominated. Like, it's insane that Charlie Theron was not. Like, Charlie Theron's performance in Young Adult is better than any of the nominated performances that year. Uh, it, it's probably my favorite performance of that decade. Um, yeah. I love it. Also, Anna Paquin for Margaret, since we're saying we love that movie. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I think the, the Fassbender breakthrough, because, like, the universe was primed for it for this point, right? We, where mm-hmm. he had been in Hunger, which was the breakthrough Steve McQueen movie, which um, I can recognize as a good movie, while also f- it's a thoroughly unpleasant film ma- film watching experience that I don't want to repeat again ever. But like, yes, he's obviously good. Yes, he does the body like taking your body to extremes thing that people Mm -hmm. love in actors and definitely put him on the map and then he was also in fish tank which i think was recognized by maybe a different little like small sliver of the film watching audience which he's fantastic in that in a very much less of a heroic kind of a role and but also like Fish Tank is the movie where everybody watches it and is just like, oh, he's so fucking sexy. Like, and that became Even such though a he's part. Gross in that movie. Yeah. Yes, but just like, just the, the sight of him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that then became, and then shame happens and nothing, nobody could talk about anything about how big his penis was. And it became like a definitional part of the Michael Fassbender thing was great actor but also like super sexy and then 2011 happens and it's a very you know we joke about x-men first class being part of that critics prize but like i think a part of the reason why it was such a thing for him was it was a very diverse set of films Mm -hmm. with 
a very diverse and he is good in that x-men movie he's great in that x-men movie he's a star that's the thing it's like he is a it's a star performance in a mainstream superhero movie it really like announced him and then the kinds of roles he plays in a dangerous method and shame and jane Eyre are all so very different from one another it's a really mm-hmm. it's a, just a really great sort of like repre- if you wanted to like put your best foot forward in as many different types of films and roles as possible he couldn't have asked for better and yet you have like the same thing happening with Jessica Chastain and because it's more to i guess a mainstream or an acceptability of taste she's the one who like becomes the like virtuoso right. this year have they ever done a movie together it feels like they should have. They should have, right? They were so big. It's like at the exact same time. It's like it's kind of amazing that they didn't. I'm looking at Fassbender's stuff right now. I don't think they have. Yeah. Oh no, uh, X Men. God. Uh, oh God. See, I block. All, I haven't seen an X Men movie since First Class. That last like, terrible X Men. It's not a franchise movie. I like. It's but. a franchise that I like, even though it keeps it often delivers movies that I really can't stand. I stayed with it longer than I probably should have. Like. I liked First Class a lot, and I found things to like about Days of Future Past, and then it's just these last two that I'm just like, oh boy, oh boy. Anyway. Anyway. Any last notes on A Dangerous Method? I think Keir Knightley is fantastic. Just want to stake my claim in there. I love that the poster is a riff on the Dead Ringers poster. Oh, is that true? Yeah, where it's like the two male faces blurring into a female face. Ah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. I wanted to shout out the scenes that were filmed at uh, Belvedere Palace in Vienna, which are breathtaking. Like, I know that like I am a sucker for those sort of palatial european locations where like anytime it's like versailles or something like that i'm just like i'm always just amazed at how like how old these buildings are and how massively huge the they're you know there's just like giant fucking gardens everywhere and stone statues and it's it's a phenomenal location there's that one shot where it's Freud and Young sort of talking as they're like walking around the grounds and they stop to talk and it's the two of them and then this like lady sphinx statue with just like big marble breasts <laughs> uh, and it's just like the three of them are like in equal proportion to one another so it's just like the three of them are conversating together it's it's very funny <laughs> um I love Howard Shore's score yes! I love all of his scores in Cronenberg movies. It's absurd that he has never been nominated for a Cronenberg movie because that's where he does his best work. Um, especially Dead Ringers and A History of Violence. Those scores are incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love the score for this. There's a lot of Wagner in this movie as well. Yes. Yeah. All right. Should movie. we move on to the IMDb game? Let's. At the two-hour mark? <laughs> closing yes, in on it? Boy, are we really? All right. Golly, okay. Yeah, every week How we end our you? episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free for all of hints. Hooray. Hooray. Would you like to give her guess first? I will guess first. 
All right, cool. So we're doing a movie that has two stars of multiple Cronenberg movies in Viggo Mortensen and Sarah Gadden. I went to another regular star of Cronenberg movies, and that's Mr. Jeremy Irons. There is one voice performance. Okay. There's one voice performance. Well, the Lion King has got to be the voice performance. Yes. Iconic. Famous Gabriel Scar. Yes. I think that's what I was texting you, or maybe I was talking to somebody else about this, that it's like, it's amazing that Jeremy Irons isn't gay. And I was said, no, he's just the most sophisticated heter- heterosexual. That's true. I think I was talking to my friend Murtado Alfado about this. It's a very uh, smart observation. It's true. Okay. He's the most sophisticated heterosexual. So I'm, you have the Lion King. I'm going to guess yeah. re- Reversal of Fortune. No. Okay. One of the rare Oscar winners that their Oscar win is not in their known for. And no television. No television. So no Watchmen. No Watchmen. All right. What are the very populist... I'm going to be really mad if it's one of the new Batman movies where he plays Alfred, but I'm not going to guess that quite yet. Let me talk my way through Jeremy Irons. I feel like there is an action movie where he plays like the bad guy, but I'm not quite sure what that is. I doubt it'll be something as small as like damage. I want to watch that. Speaking of Juliet Binoche. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, Miranda Richardson is the show there, but like, it's a very much a supporting performance. So I'm trying to think of like what the like nineties irons movies are. Can't help you along yet. No, I know. Definitely. I want to be able to guess irons, irons, irons. All right, fine. I will guess, um, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Unfortunately, you are correct. Yeah. Okay. That uh, abysmal, um, you know, nightmare is on his known for. Right. Is Red Sparrow? Red Sparrow is not. Okay. All right. All right. So your years for your remaining two titles are 1988 and 2016. Oh, Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers. Yes. And then what's the The other year? 2016. (laughs) Okay. Um, of course he's on there for Dead Ringers. He plays not one person, but two. 2016. You were saying what's a dumb action movie that he's in. Wait, is Batman v Superman not 2016? It is also 2016. Okay. He is in two okay. bad action so it's movies not, this year. It's not the other. It's not Justice League. Okay. I shouldn't say this. I haven't seen this movie, but I'm sure it's at least, even if it's good, it's stupid. Is he? Is it the thing that I'm thinking of, where it's like dumb action and he plays the villain? I don't know if he's the villain. People definitely defended this movie. It the star of this movie is somebody we have talked about quite a bit this episode. Quite a bit. Jeff Goldblum? No. No, we've talked about this person actively as a bullet point on our oh outline. Viggo Mortensen. 
No. Michael Fassbender. Yes, oh my what god! Action he's movie in, is it's a, it's it, Assassin's Creed. He's in Assassin's. It is Creed. Assassin's Creed. What action movie do you think Viggo Mortensen is in, sir? I don't know. Everything is an action movie with Viggo Mortensen. I don't know. Yeah, he's actively folding that pizza in half and eating it. <laughs> he sure is. Yeah. Listen, Captain Fantastic sounds like an action movie. Yeah, it's not. Captain Fantastic is definitely like one of those things that the momentum built. Because he missed out on things like a dangerous method, yeah, I feel I think like that's probably true. I never fully still a very understood weird people loving that movie. Same, super same. All right. Anyway, I who do you have for me? All right. So I followed down the Kira Knightley rabbit hole a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned, the year after she makes a dangerous method, she stars in Joe Wright's Anna Karenina, which I love, and the cast in that and movie. I is fucking stacked. It is such a well-cast and interestingly cast movie. The one standout performance that I am going to choose to have you guess is my uh, imaginary boyfriend, Donald Gleason. Donald Gleason, Good guy. Great even in bad movies, like The Kitchen, The Heartbreak of My Lifetime. No, God, speaking of imaginary boyfriends. <laughs> he's get, in get you a scruffy man who will kill for you the problem with donald gleason is he is in franchises that you don't remember that he's in like i know he's in the harry potter one we used to he's in a harry potter or two we used to say we would avoid harry potter but like it seems to have fallen off for some people um i definitely think that ex machina is in there very well chosen. Ex Machina. Yes. Ex Machina. Okay. Um, about Ex Machina, time weirdly, showed up for a like... reunion for Anna Karenina because it is him and Alicia Vikander. Yes. Um, Sorry, go ahead. She's great in Anna Karenina. I wish she was as good in Anna Karenina as she was in other things. I'm going to say About Time uh, yes. because that showed up for like Rachel McAdams. Okay, My beloved great. About Time. He's so good in that. He um, plays a character in that movie who you shouldn't like, and yet he's so, like, genuinely wonderful and charming that, like, I love him. Mm. Okay, one of those franchises. Oh, no, 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 It's the new Star Wars movies. Um, The Force Awakens has got to be on there. Nope. I thought it would be, too, but it is not. Oh, wow. Okay. Never mind, then. Um, so is that two strikes for you? Did you guess... That's one strike strike for me, I think. Um, hmm. I'm hard-pressed to guess Anna Karenina because there are a million people in there, and I don't actually think he has that much screen time comparatively. Um, He's in that terrible Peter Rabbit movie, but kids' movies never show up here for the most part. Oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be Brooklyn because he's the not good love interest in Brooklyn. It's not Brooklyn, but that's a very good guess. Mm. All right. So you have. I hate everything about that storyline in Brooklyn. Like, I think that I love that I movie too. so much. And I do too. Every, the, when she goes back to Ireland, the movie just completely deflates for me. I do too. Yep. I agree. Um. Anyway, I still do love a lot of Brooklyn, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. that is the weak part. Yes. Okay. Your two remaining years are 2012 and 2014. Okay. Well, is 2012 Anna Karenina? It is. 
All right. Well, great. You did the thing to me that I you isn't say it I annoying. Isn't it deeply annoying? No, I'm just pointing out that I don't think you did that intentionally, and you always think that I do. Uh, 2014. Okay, before Star Wars, before Brooklyn. Is that the year of X Market? Eh, no. Oh, um, no. This is um. God, why is this there? It's unbroken. No, I thought you were like the the answer to this is uh why is this their movie? But it's not unbroken. Okay. You there's a very good chance that A, you've never seen this movie, and B, you don't even remember that this movie was ever a thing. Really? It's a really odd choice. It was definitely like an indie movie that people were talking about at the time. But mm-hmm. like, and it definitely, it like has a cast full of, you know, people, including a person we have talked about a lot on this podcast who plays the title character, even though. Is it Frank? Yes, it's Frank. I like that movie. Okay. I didn't, I thought that would be completely off your It radar. is like so Sundancey. Lenny Abrahamson's but... Frank. Uh-huh. I like that movie. That would have probably been, like, my original song choice for that year. Wow. Michael Fassbender plays a character who is just has a big, giant head. Fassbender is great in this movie. Mask on. It's... Maggie Gyllenhaal is on one in that movie, but she's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's in that movie. Scoot McNary's in that movie. Uh... That's on Donald Gleason's known for because he's the lead of the movie. And right. there's not a lot of movies that he's like the lead. He's sort of, it's the, it's the ex machina thing too, where he's sort of mm-hmm. the, the normie and things are happening around him. Yes. Yes. I really wanted to love Frank and I remember being a little confused by Frank, but now I kind of want to see it again. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad way to spend an afternoon. All right. Well, I'm sorry. I aggressively hinted that too much. I should have let you come to it at your own pace. Oh no, I might not have come to it, but I was initially thrown by like, you probably haven't seen it where it's like, this is the shit that I definitely have seen. The um, thing about Donald Gleason is his career. Like he only has been making movies for like not much more than 10 years. Like those Harry Potter movies really were along with, he has a very small role in never let me go. Mm-hmm. And that's really like when his career started. But like he's made a lot of movies since then and a lot of like really good and interesting movies. You mentioned Brooklyn, he's in The Revenant, he's in Mother of Oh Course. yeah. Um God, he was in The Revenant. Yeah, yeah. Um he's Ugh. in Mother, he's in The Kitchen, he's in The Little Stranger which um, which he's fantastic in. Yeah, he's very good. I like yeah. that movie a lot. I just like him a lot. I really do. I enjoy him. Anyway, yeah, good job. Anyway, uh, Joseph, I think that's our episode. Um, if you want more of This Hat Oscar Buzz, you can uh, follow the Tumblr at thishatoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joseph, um, where can they find more of you? I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd, name spelled Joe Reed the exact same way. 
And I am on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcast. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please give us some good compliments instead of some good spankings. Can you believe we got through this episode and didn't talk about all of the spanking? I know. I'm proud of us. Yeah. There's a lot of spanking in this movie. There is. Anyway, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more podcasts.